Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Before we grab our seats, why don't we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us today. Is that a good idea? Let's do that. Holy Spirit, we come before you today and we're hungry for you to speak. We want you to speak directly to us. We want you to speak something fresh into our lives, something new this morning, that as we go from this place, we go challenged, we go encouraged, we go built up, but we go a little bit more like Jesus than when we came in. Come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Fabulous. Why don't you grab your seats? It's so good to be here this morning and be part of church family, isn't it? You know, this morning, I actually wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about church family. Because I don't know if you've noticed... But families are kind of weird. You ever notice that? Every single one of them is just a little bit different. Every single one of them, just a little bit maybe, I don't know if strange is the right word, but families are funny things. I grew up in a Maltese family. Um, yes, Malta, this dot in the middle of the Mediterranean you've never heard of. And uh, it's a very woggy family. Think Italian, but cooler. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in a Maltese family, very, very strong uh, ethnic values and, and ethnic family. And as I was growing up, I actually thought, I actually thought my family was normal, you know? And it came as a bit of a shock to me when I was, probably just as I was about to get married, started to get exposed to other families and how they operate and how they work, I actually came to the, real, the realisation that my family was probably a little bit closer to the Adams family than the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Anybody else got a family like that? I didn't realise that at the time. I should have though, like it probably should have twigged because of all the different things that happened in our family. So, so there was the time where uh, my brother, my eldest brother, I'm the youngest of four boys. My eldest brother decided he wanted to go bike riding. He was about 17 at the time. He wanted to go bike riding. And so he wanted to go out with his mates. He comes up to mum and says, mum, I'm going bike riding this afternoon. Mum said, no, you're not. And that's all it takes in our family, mum to say, no, you're not, and you don't. For some reason, I don't know what possessed him, my brother decided that he was going to push the point. So he says, no, 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 Mum, I'm going out bike riding with my mates. They're all going out this afternoon and I'm going bike riding with them. And, and, and Mum's like, no, I said you're not, you're staying home. Well, after a bit of a back and forth and obviously temperatures starting to rise, my brother said, you can't stop me, I'm going riding. Oh, that's like a red rag to a bull. Don't say that to my mum, you can't stop me. My mum, you can see the wisps of smoke coming from her ears. She goes to the kitchen, kitchen drawer. She pulls out a knife. She pulls out a knife. And my brother's eyes like saucers wide. And she starts walking towards him. And you can see his knees start to tremble. She walks straight past him, out the back door, down the back steps to his bike. Front tyre. Back tyre. She picks up the bike, throws it across the yard and yells out, Do you want to go riding? Go riding! It was at that point I probably should have worked out my family is a little bit strange. Not sure why I didn't twig. That's just kind of the family that I grew up in. I've got to say, though, as crazy as my mum was, and I'm sure she was almost certifiable, as crazy as she was, she certainly instilled in us a very, very strong European family ethic. Family was everything. Family was a big deal. She'd have all these little sayings like, uh, when you go to make a decision, uh, talk to your brothers because you'll see one corner of the room, but they'll see the other three. Now, I'm not sure if that's because there are generally four corners in a room or if I had three other brothers. I'm not sure. But the point was, talk to your family if you're going to go make a decision. 
She would say things like, nobody will come to you and say, here, let me wipe your face so you look better than me, except your family. Your family will do that. Why? Because they're family. If you, even if you're arguing with your brothers, even if you're fighting, somebody comes and comes against one of your brothers, even if it's the brother you're fighting with, you all turn and you all attack the guy. That's how it works in a woggy family, okay? We're just a little bit south of the Cosa Nostra. You just need to, okay, much, much more nicer than that. But a little bit south of the mafia in Malta, okay? That's kind of how it works there. You just, because they're your family. And even if you disagree with them, you back them up. You have their back. You're behind them. Does that make sense? That was just my picture of family. It's kind of what I grew up in. At the age of 13, I gave my life to Jesus. At the age of 13, I got saved, became a Christian. And somebody from the platform on the night I got saved said, Welcome to the family of God. Congratulations, you're part of the family of God. And let me tell you, the first thing that I thought of in my head, the picture that I had, was not of my mum with a knife, not that picture. The picture I had was family. So we look out for each other. So we have each other's back. So we defend each other. Yeah, sure, we argue and we fight because that's what my family did. Absolutely, we still, we still might, not, might not always agree on everything, but we always have each other's back and we always look out for each other. And from the day I gave my life to Jesus until today still, my picture of the family of God is absolutely influenced by that. Today I don't have time to go in depth into the whole concept of family. But what I wanted to do is maybe lay a bit of a foundation Maybe paint a little bit of a picture to give you a glimpse of the heart of God for His family, the church. To give you a bit of a glimpse of what God sees for you and I together as His church. So to do that, I'm going to start by posing a question. I don't know if you've ever asked it yourself. I'm a question kind of guy. I just think of questions. I don't always have answers, but I just think of questions. And so the question that came to me was this. Why? Why did God invent the church? You ever thought of that? Ever, anybody ever wondered that themselves? Why did God invent the church? I've got the only hand up right now. That's awesome. It's obviously not a shared experience. Well, think about it now. Why did God invent the church? Let's play who wants to be a millionaire. Was it because, A, God was lonely and needing companionship and Tinder hadn't been invented yet? Was it because B, God was bored, had nothing to do and thought, you know what, I'm going to invent a church? Was it because C, God thought to himself, I just feel creative today, I'm just going to create something, it'll be the church? Or was it D, none of the above? Lock in D, Eddie, that's exactly right, you won a million dollars, how good is that? Correct, it's none of the above. The reason God invented the church is because God wanted a family. Because God wanted to draw a family to himself. The whole of the Bible is the story of God drawing mankind to himself. In fact, God drawing mankind back to himself. The whole of the Bible is about God drawing a family of sons and daughters to himself. Does it make sense? That's the whole thread of the story of the Bible. The Bible tells us that God was complete in his love before we ever came along. This is no Hollywood thing where we came to Jesus and he looked at us and said, oh, you complete me. No, 
That's not what happened. We don't complete God. He did not need us for Him to be complete. He was complete as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the triune God in perfect relationship, in loving relationship, in that place of perfection. He was complete. He did not need us to complete Him. And yet His nature is relational. His desire is relationship. His desire is to draw us into relationship. He wanted a family. And so God created man. God created mankind because he wanted a family. We then went and promptly messed it up in the garden. Thanks, Adam. That was a great job. And so when we messed it up in the garden, he put into place a plan that saw Jesus coming down. And in Romans 8.29, it tells us that he became the firstborn of many sons that we would be like him. We became the firstborn of many sons that he could then draw unto himself even as Jesus had relationship with God. Make sense? That was the intent. The church was invented and was intended as a place of family. That's what it is supposed to be. Every Every week, it's a new family reunion. Every week, brothers and sisters getting together, coming together into dad's house, coming together and and sharing around a meal. That's when we have communion. Coming together and and hanging out and and sharing how our week was and and connecting and, and, and laughing and living life together as family. That's what it was always intended to be, sharing our lives with one another. You see, the primary purpose for the church is not evangelism. Now, I know if you're an evangelist here, you're just about to pick up a rock and throw it. Just hold on to it for a moment because I'm going to offend far more people than that. The primary purpose of the church is not missions. We're a big missions church, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the church is not preaching. It's not worship. That is not the primary purpose of the church. Are these things important? Absolutely. Are they valuable? Incredibly. That's why we do it every week. But you can do evangelism in your workplace. You're not doing evangelism now. Who's doing evangelism in this place right now? Nobody. You do it when you go out. You do it in your workplace. We come together and there's corporate worship. That's great. But you can worship at home. You can do that too. Preaching, my goodness, you can watch that on television. You get better preachers than this. Absolutely. That's not the purpose of the church. Those things are important, but they are part of the means to the end. What is the end? All of these functions serve the purpose of the church. That is that the church be a place that we can become a family of sons and daughters to God the Father. That as we come together, the church was intended to be the place that we can become a family of sons and daughters to God the Father. Evangelism, missions, they're there to serve the purpose of the church. How? Because evangelism is about reaching out to people and letting them know about the love of God. It's about actually drawing them into the family of God that they would become children of God. That's what evangelism is about. It's about drawing people into that place of relationship with God as is missions. These things serve the function of drawing together a family of sons and daughters to God the Father. Does this make sense? They're not the end in themselves. The end is God is interested in relationship with you. He wants to draw you into that place of becoming a son or daughter of God. Now you may have noticed, you may not, 
But I've been very intentional to use the words son and daughter, not child or children. And there's a reason for that. Because God isn't just looking for a family of children. He's actually looking for a family of sons and daughters. Because the Bible actually draws a very clear distinction between sons and daughters and children. The Bible is very intentional about using very specific words when it talks about being a child of God as opposed to being a son or daughter of God. And so, so what I've been saying about the church, God is wanting us to become sons and daughters of God, not just children of God. If you've got your Bible, you might want to look at John chapter 1 starting at verse 12. The, the, the scriptures are going to come up on the screen. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the, the what? The children of God. Children born not of natural descent, but born of God. The Greek word for children there is the, is the word technon. That's a, it's a word and it's translated child. It works, it fits, it's the right word for that context. That we would become the children of God. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a child of God. He's your heavenly father. 1 John chapter 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Again, the Greek word being used there is technon. It means child or children. In the King James Version, it actually translates that, that we might become the sons of God, but that's incorrect. And in the New King James, they, they actually changed it to say the children of God, because the word sons is a different word. This Greek word technon means child. You want, you want sonship, that's different. Let's go on to this next passage, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18. And there are passages all throughout the New Testament. Seriously, do a study on it. It's very, very interesting. 2 Corinthians 6 18, Paul is writing, quoting God saying, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It's interesting that he uses the word sons and daughters and does say, and you will be my children. Why is that? It's a different word. The Greek word here is huios. It's not technon. Technon means a child. Huios means a son. It actually confers something different upon this relationship. In Galatians 4.5, it goes further. Paul goes further. He's talking about what Jesus has done and he says he's done this to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now this is interesting. Because the word that is used here for the, the whole term, that phrase, adoption as sons, is the Greek word huiathesia. Not only is that difficult to say, but it's also very interesting. You see, the, the root word for uh, son is huios. This word is huia. It's, it's taking the root word of huios, huiathesia. And so what it's saying is that the, the, the literal translation is placing as a son, that we might receive the placing as a son or adoption as sons. But understand that, that God is intentional, the writers are intentional to actually use different words for being a child of God and being a son of God. Does it make sense? Do you get that? I promise, I know we're in the weeds a bit. I'm going to pull it all together and you'll see where it's going very, very shortly. The adoption as sons. That's important because childhood comes through regeneration, which leads to relationship. But sonship comes through adoption, 
which leads to authority or position or status. I don't think you actually caught that because that's a big deal. Childhood comes through regeneration. When you give your life to Jesus, you are made anew. You are regenerated. And because of that, you are a child of God. That is a wonderful thing. You're a child of God. And because of that, you have relationship with the Father. How good is that? You can have relationship with God because you've become a child of God when you give your life to Jesus through that regeneration. But sonship's different. Sonship comes through a process called adoption. And that process leads us to a place of position or status or authority. So many Christians don't understand why they don't have authority because they've not gone through the process of adoption. Have you ever seen somebody think to yourself, man, that guy's just got an authority on his life. Man, when she speaks, she just commands authority. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. They've gone through a process of adoption and God's done something in their life and now they've become a son or a daughter and because of that, they have an authority that they never had before as a child of God. Okay? You can be a child of God and it's a wonderful thing, but if you want to step into what God has for you, you've got to go through that process of adoption. You've got to become a son or daughter of God so that you can stand with authority and say, this is where God has called me and this is what I need to do. But that doesn't happen without that process. The Bible says we're going to reign with him. We see it in 2 Timothy 2. We see it in Revelation 5, Revelation 20, Revelation 22. In numbers of places in the New Testament, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. How does that happen? As you go through a process of adoption, that you become a son or daughter and then end up having authority or position or status to be able to rule and reign with Christ. But you've got to go through that place of adoption. Understand what we're talking about. Let me just kind of bring it back a little bit. We're talking about God's heart for the church. That God wants to build to himself a family of sons and daughters, not just children. Not just a family of children, but a family of sons and daughters. And this can only happen through the adoption process. It can only happen through the adoption process. If that's the case that I can only step into the authority God has for me by going through an adoption process, the obvious question is, what is that adoption process? Is that an obvious question to anybody else? Okay, I see that hand. Thank you. That's the obvious question. If you want to stand in the authority God has for you, and for that to happen, you've got to go through an adoption process. Well, what is that adoption process? I want to take a moment to just talk about that. Because adoption, when we think of that word, we think of it from a very Western mindset. Adoption is not just the signing of a piece of paper and some kid who wasn't in your family is now part of your family. That is not adoption. It might be adoption today, but that's not adoption in Paul's time. That's not adoption from what Paul was thinking. When he was writing this down and he used the word queerthesia, he was thinking of something specific when he wrote the word adoption. Okay, And what he was thinking of was not the signing of a piece of paper and some kid coming from outside my family to inside my family. Because adoption actually happened within the family. You were already in the family when you got adopted. How does that work? That sounds a bit weird. Of course it sounds weird because we don't do that today. Let me tell you how they did it. So the child would be given at a young age, because adoption was a long process. The child would be given to a, a pedagogue. That is a child trainer. Like you've got a paediatrician, child doctor, pedagogue, child trainer. 
So it would be given to a child trainer. This child trainer would be a member of the household. In fact, a very esteemed member of the household. It would be probably the most senior servant in the household. This was a servant who chose to be a servant, was not a slave, wasn't there under compulsion. They chose to serve the master. They chose to serve the father of the house. Not only that, but they've been there for a long time. They know the father. They know what he's like. They know the family business. They know how it works. They know the guy's DNA, the culture in his family. They know his character. They know his integrity. They know his, the way he would do things. If someone said, oh, gee, what should we do here? This servant would know. He'd say, oh, well, we should do it like that because that's what the master would want. This servant knew the father intimately, knew him very well, and would have been there for a long time in the family. The child is entrusted to this servant. The servant then would start this process of training the child up would start this process of of developing the child. And the point was to bring this child into the ways, the purposes, the character and the spirit of the master, of the father of the family. That was the role of this tutor. And the pedagogue would use family situations because it was all within the family. So if if this kid was was, uh, beating up on his brother, then the pedagogue would look and say, Harold, Harold. No, 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 come on. You know that's not what you're supposed to do. You know your dad wants you to look out for your brother, your family. You need to look out for your brother. Don't, don't have a go at him. I want you to go and make it right with your brother. That's what the child trainer would do. If, if Harold was playing Monopoly with the other kids and he just kind of snuck a couple of hundred dollar bills from the, uh, uh, from the bank, because let's face it, that's what you do when you play Monopoly, isn't it? I thought it was in the rules. No, no, no. The child trainer would say, Harold, 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 come on. You play by the rules. Your father is a man of integrity. He does things the right way. So come on, Harold, you need to do the right thing. You need to do, you need, your father's never cheated anybody in his life. You need to do what's right. So when he saw Harold doing all this stuff, he would train. And when there was a conflict in the, amongst brothers and sisters, if there was a conflict in the family, he would use those conflicts to develop and train Harold in the ways, the purposes, the character and the spirit of the father. That was his job. And then at the age of 13 or 14 or 16, depending on the culture, because different cultures had different ages, but depending on the culture, at that age, the family would hold this formal celebration of Harold's coming of age. Happy Bar Mitzvah Harold. Come on. That process and that ceremony was called adoption. When Paul wrote that Jesus came to redeem us from being under the law in order that we might have adoption as sons, This is what he was thinking about. This is the picture that was in his head as he was talking about it. That ceremony was called adoption and it meant the coming of a son to his full rights in the family. Because up until that point, he had no authority over the family pet. He's a child in the house. But when he became a son, when she becomes a daughter in the house, well, she can tell servants what to do now. She's coming to her status, her position, her rights, her authority as a daughter in the house. Make sense? That was the function of adoption. Now, for those of you who are thinkers, you've started to think ahead and you've started to, 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 to kind of join dots. Let me join the dots for you. For those of you who maybe haven't joined the dots yet. In exactly the same way, the Holy Spirit is our child trainer. 
See, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God, not a son or daughter. You become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, the Holy Spirit, who knows the ways, knows the purposes, knows the character, knows the spirit of the Father, he is the one who's called alongside us to come and guide us into all the truth, to be our paraclete, to be our counsellor. He's the one who then comes alongside us and his role is to be our pedagogue, our child trainer, that you as a child of God be trained by the Holy Spirit to become a son or daughter of God. That's the point. That's what he was thinking about. That's what he was thinking about when he wrote Queer He's thinking about the Holy Spirit. When he says that Jesus came, that you would have adoption as sons and daughters, he's thinking that you would have the right for the Holy Spirit to come and to begin to train you so that when you have a conflict with your brothers and sisters, he says, hey, 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 come on. That's not what your father would do. I know they said bad things about you. I know they harmed you. I know they did bad. But you know what? The heart of the Father, the character of the Father is to extend grace, is to forgive, not to gossip about them, not to have a shot at them, but to forgive them. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and is our child trainer and teaches us into the ways of our Father because He knows Him because He is God. Nobody knows the Father, like the Spirit of the Father does. Does it make sense? This is what Paul was thinking when he was talking about adoption as sons and daughters. So sonship then speaks of a training process within the family in order to be a part of the family because once that adoption occurs, we then can step into our full rights as a son or daughter of God, our full authority as a son or daughter of God. The bottom line of all of this is it speaks of maturity. It speaks of family. Sonship is a training process within the family. That's what Paul was thinking of when he wrote it. It's about being adopted as sons and daughters. It's a training process within the family in order for us to be a a part of the family and in maturity. It's all about family. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 8. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Now, the word sons here is quios all the way through. They're using, this is specifically about, uh, speaks to you as a mature person. My, my son, my, my mature son, do not despise the, uh, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure discipline, God deals with you as sons. For what son, what mature son is there whom a father has not disciplined? But if you are without discipline, of which all of us have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You are not mature. doesn't mean you're not children. It just says you are not mature. You are not quios. It's about God using the family and our family situations in order to mature us. In other words, maturity is very, very difficult apart from the family of God because the family is the prime source of growth that God will use in your life. He has created the church intentionally for that, specifically for that to develop in you as a son or daughter of God. Why is this relevant? I'm so glad you asked. Because God could have had anything he wanted. God just said a word and it happened. He could have had a mansion. He could have had riches. He could have had little slaves and puppets all saying, hey, 
Jesus, ah, Jesus. He could have had anything he wanted. He could have had a leather look lounge. He could have had a Hyundai i30 with a little sporty grill. He could have had anything he wanted. And what did he choose? He chose a family of sons and daughters. That's the one thing he wanted. I want, I want sons and daughters. I want mature sons and daughters. That's what I'm looking for. And in order to make that happen, he instituted his church. For all her faults, for all her shortcomings, he instituted the church, the bride of Christ. Because his church is his chosen tool to change us from a family of children to a family of sons. Think about that. The person next to you is the tool. In fact, you should look them in the eye and look at them and say, you know what? You're a tool. You should just tell them right now, you are a tool. A tool in the hands of God to bring maturity into your life. If you don't know them, don't tell them that. Because that, that might be counter to what we're trying to achieve today. That we would be mature like Jesus. That Jesus would be the firstborn of many sons and daughters. Sons and daughters that would be just like him. And when we isolate ourselves from his family, when we isolate ourselves from his church, we actually deny God the opportunity for the one thing he wants. You being in a space where he can take you through a process that turns you into a son, a mature son or daughter. We're still his children. He'll still love you. There are lots of Christians, people who love God, but they're not in church. People who just, no, no, I don't go to church. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they just can't be bothered, whatever the reason. They're not in church. They're still children of God. God still loves them. He still wants to bless them. He still wants to lavish something upon them, but they will never step into the authority that God has for them because God wants them in the family, connected and being grown in the family. It's God's plan. And a pretty good plan, if I, if I can say. We're still his children, but we're not sons and daughters by adoption. I know some of you are looking thinking, man, I didn't think it was that important to be in church. Well, yeah, actually it is to God. Actually it is. Man, I didn't realise it was that important to actually like, build relationship with people and connect with people because my life's so full and busy. Yeah, I know it is. But to God, actually it, it is important that you do that. It genuinely is. God wants us to connect with one another, to be church family. Let me recap this thing. I'm just going to wrap it up. If Sister Maxine could come, that would be awesome. Because she plays such romantic music in the background. Because we've covered a lot of ground, okay? We've, we've kind of covered a bit. So let me just throw it to you in point form so that you've got at least something to take away with you. Okay, number one, God is relational by nature. That's who he is. Number two, God created mankind because he had a desire to draw to himself a family of sons and daughters. That was God's intent. Okay, number three, when we are born again, we become children of God and it gives us relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that you're a son or daughter of God. You've become a child of God. They're different. Number four, the primary purpose of the church is that we would be a family of mature sons and daughters to God. Number five, church was invented by God 
instituted by God in order to give us a context in which we could be trained by our child trainer, the Holy Spirit, in order for us to become sons and daughters of God capable of being adopted into the family, into the full rights and authority that God has for us. And number six, it is the Holy Spirit who trains the family. He trains us within the family in order to be part of the family. His training is done within the family. And as such, it's very, very difficult for maturity to occur independent of the family of God. That is His church. The sum total of all of this is God loves the church and He is wholeheartedly committed to her. Wholeheartedly committed to her. What does this mean for us? Much. Much. If you get an understanding of what that means in your life, it will change the way you do church. Because it's not just about turning up and going home. It's not just about, oh, I heard a nice word today. I'm going to go have lunch. It's not just about that. Church is about far more than that. Church extends beyond even the, the, the four walls that we, that, we, that we meet in. Church is much bigger. I don't have time to expand it all, but let me throw a couple to you. It means that being part of family, which is actually about relating, connecting, not isolating, not I don't have time for any more friends, I'm full, I've got every, I'm just busy, but actually being part of family and relating is what God uses to mature you into the authority that you are looking for the authority that you actually want. When you look at that person and think, why is it that they pray and stuff happens? Why is it that they seem to kind of stand above and rise above stuff? Why is that? They do it with such an authority. God wants to give it to you. It's not just for them. It's for you. It's for you. Being part of family is how you get to it. The second thing is, when things happen in church life, as they will invariably, Somebody says something bad about you. Somebody didn't say something nice about you. Somebody looked at you funny. Somebody didn't look at you at all. Somebody said something. Somebody didn't say whatever it is. They did something to you and it hurt you. They didn't do something to you and it hurt you. Whatever it is. When you go through those things, it shifts the way you see those things. We need to start to see those things not as the injustice of man that I need to rail against and possibly gossip about. That's not what we're supposed to do. Instead, the paraclete, the child trainer comes and says, hey, hey, I know that hurt. I know that hurt. But the way of the Father is forgiveness. The way of the Father is extending grace. The way of the Father is dealing with the hurt and moving forward, moving on. So we actually need to see it as that person who hurt me, maybe they're just a tool. Maybe they're just a tool in the hands of God to make me more like Jesus. I know you think they're a tool in the other sense, but maybe they're a tool in the hands of God to change me. We need to commit to the local body that God has placed us in. And not just in terms of turning up. Not just in terms of being in the room. That's a great start. Oh, look, I'm preaching the converted. You're here. I get it. But if I can be so bold, some of you have been here for a long time. And there's people across the room, you have no idea who they are. And you've been here for 20 years, 30 years. Can I say that's not how God wants it to be? You're not going to be friends with everybody. I get that. And that's not what I'm saying. But to actually reach out to the people around us, 
to get to know them a little bit, to connect with them, to build family. That's what God desires of us. Whether you've been here a week or you've been here a decade, that's what God desires of us. And so it's important not just to turn up, not just to serve. And serving's great. It's a great way to connect and get to know people and start to do life with people. And you know, we, uh, We're taking the, uh, the cafe team. We're coming over our place for lunch afterwards and we're going to do pizza. And we're gonna, we just want to get to know people. We just want to connect with people. We're new here. We've only been in the campus for like six, seven weeks. So we want to get to know people. So serving is a great way to do that. And God wants to use serving in your life to do that. It's a good thing. But it's not just about serving. It's not just about doing... It's about committing to build relationship with people. That's what it's about. To being a family. Not just being friendly, but going from friendly to building friendship to being family. That's what God calls us to. There's so much more it means, but let me just leave this as the takeaway for you. Today, when you go out of this place, be intentional about looking for an opportunity to connect with someone. Maybe instead of just rushing out, maybe go to the cafe and hang out for coffee. They're not coming over until all that's finished. So it's fine. They'll still be there. They'll be doing coffee. Go in the cafe, hang out for a coffee. And if you see someone, maybe you've seen them, you've seen them around the place, but maybe go up to them and say, you know, I've seen you here for years, but I don't think I've ever known your name. My name is Alex. What's yours? Don't use Alex. Use your own name. There's going to be a lot of Alexes in the church and that's just going to get confusing for everybody, okay? But just, and you know what? That might be the end of the conversation. Maybe as you walk out the doors, you're walking next to someone, you've walked next to them for years. Just say, hi, how are you going? My name is, what's your name? Maybe it turns into a conversation. Maybe they turn left and you turn right and that's the end of it. But it's a start. It's the beginning of a connection. That's why we do connect groups. That's why we have coffee. That's why we do all those things. It's not just because we're addicted to coffee. Because we need to connect. Let's be intentional about building family connections. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.